Who is the most underrated actor of all time? It's Dolph Lundgren. Correct. Why? Well, because of his uh, spiky hair, yep. his ice-cold demeanor, and his big muscles. Absolutely. I must break you. Welcome to I Must Break This Podcast. This is the fan podcast celebrating the cinematic career of action legend Dolph Lundgren. Hello and welcome back to I Must Break This Podcast, the fan podcast that takes an in-depth and chronological look at the films of Dolph Lundgren. Today we're going back to 1998 and discussing the Dolph Lundgren, John Woo-helmed flick, Blackjack. In this backdoor pilot for a potential television series, Lundgren plays Jack Devlin, a former U.S. Marshal turned bodyguard who must protect a supermodel from a sadistic stalker, all the while balancing his new role as a father figure to his niece. John Woo, the high-action director of Face-Off and Broken Arrow, comes Blackjack. Dolph Lundgren is Jack. Devlin, Jack Devlin. He's one of a kind. They don't make guys like you anymore. And the only bodyguard you'll ever need. When a high-priced model... The spectacular Cinder Jane is the target of a madman. How can you protect her from me? The stakes are raised. Put her in a fixed position for more than an hour. Might as well write her name on the bullet. And the action is hot. are bad. He's the best there is. Come on, Jack! Dolph Lundgren. Blackjack, the new film from acclaimed director John Woo. I'm your host, Sean Malloy, and joining me to chat this one today is my buddy Brian Coyne, writer and director of the horror films Infernal and Bad Apples. Brian, it's a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on, man. Oh man, thanks for having me. This is amazing. <laughs> well, you know, when you and I first when you and I first got in touch and corresponded, um I, I kinda told you about my show and my project and asked if you'd be uh asked if you'd be interested in joining me for any of his films. And I remember you said, Well, do you have anyone slated for blackjack yet? Because that's my <laughs> that's my favorite Dolph Lundgren flick. And yeah. it it was interesting because it was almost like two kindred spirits because not only have I had people um, express such enthusiasm over certain films, but Blackjack is one of those films that kind of came in that period of Lundgren's career that is kind of unnoticed and unknown. So to have someone say that that is their favorite Lundgren flick of all time, it was like, oh, I got to have this guy on. So, <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. This one is just such a I feel like people don't ever think about it. It's think it didn't happen or don't care about it, you know? Yeah, no, it, well, you know, it, it's weird. Like I said, it came at that period in, in Lundgren's career where, you know, he was working quite steadily, but yeah, to, to the, to the general public, most of the films that he was doing around this time kind of went unnoticed, which is weird because when you look at the talent involved, I mean, this is Dolph Lundgren teaming up with John Woo. How could it possibly go wrong? Yeah. Yeah. And Terrence Chang, Terrence Chang, the producer, he, he's amazing. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, exactly. So, um, yeah, no, th- this has been a pleasure. Like I said, I've been looking forward to this um, ever since we uh, ever since we first got in contact. And before we start breaking the film down, I always like to ask my guests, what was your what is your experience with Lundgren over the years? Uh, as a fan, like watching his films or in my personal like, you know, work life? I have two answers. <laughs> well, yeah, I, let, let's do let's do as a fan, and then let's do work life. Okay, let's. Um, so, I mean, and it, it's it is hilarious because of you know I'm 32 years old, and I was a movie fanatic. You know, I think like so many of us were, where you know, so much of my life, in, in a sad way, but in a like a really amazing way, where it's like, oh, you know, my parents didn't know what to do with me, so let's run a movie from Blockbuster. You know, he loves movies. Throw some movies at him. You know, all that kind of crap. And um, I remember, like, I would, I would, I was a huge comic, I am a huge comic book fan. And at that period of time, those, like, posters, um, those ads for Universal Soldier, I was obsessed with them. Yeah, that movie looked so damn cool to me. You know, and I was, uh, oh, yeah. When, when was Universal Soldier? That was 91, 92, 90, 90? That was 92. And I remember those ads that you were talking about. They were on, they were on the back of it, seemed like every Marvel comic book. 100%. Same with, like, Army of Darkness. Dr. Giggles, you know, that guy. Oh, stuff. yeah. But yeah, you know, yeah. I was obsessed with that. Anything like Coralco had put out, too, I'd found. Like, if Mario Kassar was on it, I guess I was a huge fan of it, you know? Um, and I found that movie, and uh, it, it gave me my love for not just Dolph, but JCVD. Although, and you know, because in that movie, like, Dolph is, he's off the reservation. It's amazing. He gives an yeah. incredible performance, you know? Um, I was aware of who Dolph was because my brother would always have the Rocky movies, right? So I had seen that. I, I knew who Ivan Drago was, but to see him in that role, and my dad's also a Vietnam veteran, so there was kind of an insanity that he had in that that I just I, I immediately was was hooked. And so I would, you know, I went through the Arnold's, the Slys, Slys, one of my favorites, um, the JCVD movies, but then like I, I would. You know, when I'd go to Blockbuster, I'd find all these random action movies I didn't know about. And, uh, you know, with, I, I Come in Peace was a big one, you know, uh, or Dark Angel, whichever way you're watching it. Um, but that was a huge one for me, like just finding it at Blockbuster. And so I was just obsessed with this guy. And uh, and it never really broke because even with Dolph, again, that would kind of tie in the work stuff, but I'm not there yet. But even when Dolph really started doing things because, you know, he was a working actor and, you know, working actors have to work. <laughs> That's the thing, you know, and some yeah. of those projects were not the best, but he had to, you know, pay. He's, 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 he's an actor. This is what he does, you know. I won't name what films those are, but, you know, you start to see him go down that road. But even when he went down that road, there were still some really damn interesting movies, you know. He's always kept that cool, like, I think he chooses scripts semi-decently um, as opposed to some of the other big action stars, you know? Um, and and I, I don't know. I was always just obsessed with the guy. So, I mean, that's kind of my, my childhood of it all because um, I'm not going directly into how I found Blackjack yet because I don't know if you want to go there yet. <laughs> oh no, we're going to be going, we're, we're going to be going there as well. But yeah, I, I also wanted to ask you about, yeah, about work. I mean, you are a writer and a director. I mean, you're, you're essentially living the dream, getting to see your, um, your projects come to the screen. And, and you, when you and I were initially uh, talking, you had a project, I don't know how much of this you are, you're at liberty to talk about that you were hoping to get Lundgren attached to. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, it's actually, um, 
you know, it's a, it, uh, the only thing I can't say about that is uh, today, like literally today. That's why it's kind of magic that we're doing this today. It was a God, it's kiss, kiss mint, whatever you want to call it, um, because of that very thing. Uh, so I, you know, I got into the industry in a really weird way. First off, I grew up in it, like right on the outskirts. I'm a Simi Valley kid. So um, if you know anything about Simi Valley, typically you think of the Manson family or you think of uh, racist cops in the Rodney King trial or the OJ trial. So we don't have a lot of good things to say about ourselves. It's kind of a weird town. But um, it, it literally, when you talk about the gates of Hollywood, oh, I was just at the gates of Hollywood, you know, I'm just outside the gate. Simi Valley is pretty much literally the gate. Because so many crew people live there. It's more reasonable to live out in Simi than it was in L.A. You know, so I grew up around filmmakers. And, and my next-door neighbor was the um, uh, the assistant to the creator of Growing Pains. So I grew up on the sets of Boy Meets World, all the TGIF shows, if you remember them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right? I think we're in the same age bracket, so you know the Boy Meets World. You know the step-by-steps. And I, you know... Yes. I was given a, a fake rock from the set of Batman Forever, and I think I was hooked at that point. Um, so, but it wasn't easy. Like, it still sucked. It was, you know, to say that I grew up around people, because there are a lot of people who have different stories of, oh, I came from, well, it's like my wife. She's an actress, and she, um, you know, she came down here from Kentucky. Uh, everybody's a transplant here, but I'm a, I'm a pureblood, and it was still hard. So, um, you know, I wanted to make action movies. And then I fell in love with horror movies. Like, I want to make horror movies. I want to make action movies. That's basically, I was never the kid who was like, I want to make this stirring drama. You know, no. Even at 32, I'm still like, hey, I have some interest, but I don't have, <laughs> I want to make action movies, you know? And so I had, this kind of gets like a little emotional because, uh, and this is kind of a magical thing. So I was working, I, I was working on a blockbuster and this guy came into the video store and uh, he would, I was always the exuberant, like, let me tell you what's good in the store, guy. I was like, you, what, what happens when you work at Blockbuster is you have to pull up their accounts so you see their names. And I pulled up the guy's account. I was helping him with some movies very exuberantly. He'd asked for specific things. I helped him find it because he's like, oh, I'm going in on a pitch meeting. So I'm like, oh, cool. This is where I want to be. I pulled up the guy's name, and his name's Paul Huff. I was like, Huff? Huff? Oh, my God. Wait, you're not the you're not John, because he had a British accent. So I'm like, you're not John Huff's son, are you? And he starts, like, getting shy and kind of laughs. He's like, yeah, yeah, I am. And if you know who John, do you know who John Huff is off the top of your head? Okay, I'm going to I'm gonna display my ignorance right now. It sounds really, really familiar, but help, help sure. me out. No, no, I mean, he's one of those guys maybe you should know, but it's totally respectful if you don't. He directed um, Watcher in the Woods, Escape to Witch Mountain. Okay. Um, yeah, so some really cool, like, fun. He's a British guy. He did some of the Hammer horror movies. Okay. You know, so I ended up chumming up to Paul, and Paul kind of really, his son, Paul Huff, he, he kind of really introduced me to the world, and we did this movie where it was my first time producing, so I suck. I own all my faults on that. But I met this guy named Geza Dechi. It's Geza, G-E-Z-A, Dechi, D-E-C-S-Y, I believe. So um, Geza and I always kind of kept in touch, and Paul and I had a little bit of falling out. But Gaze was just the best guy I knew. Like, he was so exuberant and so cool and always knew an answer. And even when we were super stressed, he was the guy to calm you out, to calm you down. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, uh, you know, I was in a really bad place in my life in uh, 2014. And uh, if you look at my 
IMDb. And this is, I'll be open on your show, Sean, because I like you a lot, man. Um, (laughs) There's a movie in 2014 called Utero that I had made, and it's not out yet. But, um, like, no one, very few people know that it has distribution. It will be coming out. I just sat on it for a while because of just the emotion and everything behind it. Because in 2014, I was just so bad off. Randomly, I just, like, had this feeling like, oh, you haven't talked to Gaza in, like, a year or two years. You should reach out to Gaza. Reach out to Gaza. And at the time, I owned some lights. Just, you know, some lights for filmmaking. Reached out to Gaza, and we just started shooting the shit again. And he goes... Like, what have you been up to? I'm like, ah, I just made this movie, Utero. And I was like, ah, ah, what kind of movie is it? I tell him all about it. I was like, you should come to Universal one of these days. I'm like, fuck you, why? I was like, I work at Universal. You do not, you son of a bitch. He's an indie guy. Why would he be working at Universal? So I did. I come and visit him at Universal. And he takes me on a lot. Like, I get on the lot, and I'm walking all around, and takes me to a bungalow, and holy shit, he does, in fact, work over at Universal. It's a company called Hollywood Media Bridge. And, and by the way, I'm going to get one of them on your show. So I go in there and there's all these action movie posters going. Steven, mostly Steven Seagal. And I know that's really hard to say right now, given, you know, what's been going on with him. The, the gentleman that owns Hollywood Media Bridge basically kept Steven Seagal in work from the Patriot onto whatever the last one was. You know, he just made a good living off of it. But Gaza had this movie. And it's so fun to say these things. So if your listeners are listening and they want to piece it, piece it together, how things fall together. <laughs> a movie called Gnome Alone. That's right. Gnome. Get it? It's a gnome. He's alone. Right? Gnome Alone. And it's it starred the late Vern Troyer as a okay. sadistic, like, leprechaun. It was a complete leprechaun ripoff, right? Just with Vern as, as an evil gnome. And Gaze wasn't too happy about it, but it was, you know, it was just something that Phil had picked up. It was negative pickup, and he was just shitting off to, to Lionsgate Grindstone, which is gonna make a i'm long-winded but this is gonna make a lot of sense by the way so no, that's um, fine. Lionsgate and actually you should know i actually do remember the cover for no malone when that when that was out i remember distinctly uh seeing the cover for no malone and yes it was a it was a leprechaun ripoff but in a glorious yeah, right. fashion but anyway continue yeah, there you go <laughs> yeah and it's lionsgate grindstone and again that lionsgate grindstone is is basically who put out a lot of dolph's more recent shit but okay we'll get back to that not altitude uh, Phil and Ben did that for Lionsgate Grindstone. Gaza and I were just shooting the shit and just like, I said, I had some lights and he goes like, really? I'm like, yeah. He's like, um, because I have to do these reshoots for this, this movie, No Malone. It's like, okay, cool. He was like, how much do you want me to, to, to rent them from me? I'm like, I just take them. You're just a friend. I'm not going to charge a friend, you know? Um, he goes like, come on, you gotta, you gotta want something. And then I had some brass balls back then, I guess. I go, all right. I want you to read one of my scripts for your company. Right? That's what I said. And he goes, like, done. And then I go home and I go, like, because I asked him, like, well, you guys are doing No Malone, so you do horror movies. He's like, oh, yeah, we don't do horror movies. We're just picking up this one because it's a fast turnaround. He's like, we do action movies. I was like, oh, shit, I hadn't written one yet. Because I really wanted to do one, but, I, you know, dude, you look at an action movie, you look at a Dolph movie, things are exploding. I know how much these things cost. You yeah. know, like, I'm, I'm writing horror movies because I can get away with them. I have a little shit. So I didn't know what to do. Um, but I kind of had, I had, had really fallen and just hit my head on the ground. And I used to have this, uh, I used to be a, before I became a filmmaker, I was going to be a youth pastor. So I had this like weird waning God thing. Right. And, uh, I should, you know, this happened. I, I am a disgusting person. I smoke cigarettes, but I was uh, renting a house in the Hollywood Hills at this time. 
which if you watch Utero, when it comes out, you will see it because we shot that movie there. And I had, uh, I was thinking so hard, what is this movie going to be? And I put my cigarette out and I hadn't emptied, I hadn't emptied the ashtray and I walked away. And at the time I was really just sad about so many things. And I was thinking about the book of Job and I shit, you know, I look back and my ashtray is on fire. I look at it. I'm like, this is God. I'm an idiot. Like I seriously, I'm like thinking so crazy at that point, but I seriously did that. And I remember like what Gaze had said. He goes like, well, you know, we do Seagal movies and we really do like Lundgren. And we like, like you gave random names, George St. Pierre, like them at the time, like him at the time, uh, Randy Couture, you know, guys like that muscle yeah. expendables guys. So, uh, they kind of hit me. I was like, you know what? What if I do like a reverse kind of like, you know, action movie take on the ba- the book of Job for Dolph. Everything was for Dolph at that point. I was like, you know, I don't want to work with Steven. I've heard the horror stories, a lot of horror stories about Steven. But Dolph, you, you don't hear them. I mean, he had his time where he's kind of a prick, apparently, but he worked it out. He and JCVD are two guys that, like, in this town do not have shitty reputations anymore. Oh, no, they they have reputations for being some of the hardest, Dolph especially, for being one of the hardest working men in the business. And he is smart. He knows his way in front of the camera, behind the camera. He looks at a script. Yep. He knows exactly what works, maybe what's not going to work. So, yeah. So, okay, to your point right there, because I'm, I'm kind of, um, a lot of the time I make my bones by doing rewrites and, and so on and things because I'm a dialogue guy. I write a lot of dialogue. I'm a good dialogue guy. You know, Dolph always has this kind of sick wit to him, you know? And, and I always just, I, I, I don't know if I had ever seen him go that way, where it was just like really fun, snappy, you know, I hate to use this term, but Tarantino-esque dialogue. Really want to do that for Dolph. And I, uh, so I pumped out the script in three days. I was actually shocked. I gave it to a few people to read really fast. Uh, the guy who essentially like kept me from losing my mind in this industry is a guy named Steven Susco who wrote The Grudge, and uh, just recently, God bless him, had, uh, wrote and directed Unfriended the Dark Web. Oh, cool. Yeah, for Blumhouse, and he's, he's the best guy I know. And I gave it to him, he's like, it's real good, man. I was giving it to my buddy. I gave it to my buddy, and he read it, and he's like, come over now. So I come over. At the time, Bad Apples had just started, right? This is, this is a little bit of a period of time. So Bad Apples had just started, and I brought one of the producers of Bad Apples with me so he could pitch him too. And he did, and he liked his pitch. We were walking back to the bungalow, and Gaza had said to me, he's like, I don't know if we can get Dolph anymore. And I'm like, what? Why? And he goes, like, he wants too much money. And that's not, that is not a bad thing to say. I mean, you, you want what you want, you know, and you get what you deserve. And at that time, Dolph's card was all right, but not like the biggest because he was doing all the odd learner stuff and all this kind of stuff, so on and so forth. And you get kind of used to that kind of money because Avi Lerner, at Millennium, I don't know if you know this, but his biggest thing, he overpays actors. That's how he gets everybody. That's what, when you see Gerard Butler in one of his movies, you're like, how do you get Gerard Butler? Right? But they overpaid him. You paid oh, him wow. twice his card. Yeah, that is what happens. So Dolph and, and Sly and all these guys got kind of got used to that Avi check. <laughs> you know, you get used to it after a while. Oh, this is yeah. what I'm worth. And, uh, and then when you go outside of Avi, everybody else is like, no, man, you're gonna, we can only offer you this. Well, so we have this conversation, and then this other actor comes up and is what it is, and this other actor came up again today after three years. But the saddest part about it is 
my buddy, you know, we give him a hug and we go away and the script's there. It's on his desk. And, you know, I go off and I start the first two days of Bad Apples and I had a day off and he was an amateur pilot and, um, he's really excited about testing out this Russian plane, right? So he just got his pilot license. And so I texted him, go like, dude, have a good flight today. And he, and I'm like, be safe. And he wrote back always. And I was over at my mom's place and she was like, whoa, plane crash in Apple Valley. I was like, oh, that's terrible. And I'm like, wait, Apple Valley? Cause that's probably where Gaza flew out of. So I go and I look and I'm like, oh God, this can't be true. So I start texting him. Like, hey man, I know you're just fine. Text me back. And uh, I look in the comment section on the uh, article that had just gone up. Like it was red hot, like an hour. You know, it was just a local news thing. And I see Benjamin Sachs comment on it. He says, does anybody know anything else? Because this this guy, he, he works for me. So I was like, okay. So I found Benjamin Sachs, went to Gaze's Facebook, grabbed Benjamin. It's like, hey, dude, um, if you find anything, could you just like let me know? It turns out that, yeah, he had passed away. He blew up in a plane. So it's real sad, right? It's real, real, real bummer. Yeah. But at that point, Ben, Benjamin is one of my best friends now. He, you know, goes to that sad thing of having to clean out his desk and everything. And he finds this script and he reads it and he loves it and he hits me up. And since then, I have been in the pocket of, of Hollywood Media Bridge. But what keeps happening is the way they work and all these action movie companies work this way from Millennium to Hollywood Media Bridge, to everything in between, Voltage, any of these guys. They all work off of the foreign pre-sale, which is what Canon used to do. They'd just take an ad out, and they'd go sell the foreign, and then they'd go make the movie. So that's a great gig, but it's a really hard gig to get into. So I wrote another movie that I wanted Dolph as the lead in. And the sad thing kept happening with a lot of people going, oh, you can't get Dolph. Uh, you know, you shouldn't get Dolph for this on and on. And I have been trying for three years to make a movie with this guy, not caring about the money, not caring about anything, just loving him so damn much. Well, Hollywood Media Bridge and, you know, Gaza was around for this. Did that picture Altitude? I don't know if you saw that one yet. Oh, yeah. Yes, I, I did see that one. That, that'll be that'll be coming in the show. Um, we still have a ways to go. But, yeah, we have some. I was going to say, you got a lot to get through, there. dude. <laughs> you got like Battle of the Damned yeah. or whatever the, that one was. You got some yeah. big ones. But no, I mean, so that was kind of how, that was kind of how I got into, um, Dolph's world. I mean, now I know his agent really well. He was a great guy. He also reps Scott Atkins, who's a great an action hero, you know? Oh, yeah. Michael Jai White. I mean, this guy, uh, over at, uh, at, uh, I believe it's Gersh. I think it's Gersh Agency. Um, he's got, he's got, oh, he had Batista. Batista just left. There's a lot of guys that are just the brawny. But again, Dolph is the smartest one of them all. And it's just like, so what I end up seeing a lot of, it's like a little secret. There is this guy, I'm not going to say his name because that would suck. He went and overpaid Dolph. There was a time where he got away from Avi, right? So, so like direct, was it direct contact, uh, missionary man, I think it was. Right. Um, that, that would be, those were Avi Lerner produced, I believe. I don't think I'm wrong, but he stopped doing the Avi Lerner movies. I, I wonder, everybody has, seems to have a falling out with him. So I wonder if that happened there and Dolph was just, you know, good enough to not put it in the press. 
Well, well, that's the, uh, you know, what's interesting is Avi Lerner. I mean, yeah, he's a refugee from Canon. And what's what's hilarious is Canon, like you said, they did that same thing. I mean, you know, in the documentary Electric Boogaloo, they talked about that, about how they just, you know, threw tons of money at Sylvester Stallone to get him to do over the top. No way would Sylvester Stallone have done that movie if he did not get all that money thrown at him. And it was it was events like that that caused everyone else in the business to say, okay, well, I want that deal. And so it's just really interesting that while Canon is gone, it's not really gone in a sense because we still have Millennium Entertainment. And it seems like Millennium Entertainment is still using the uh, Canon business model. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And it's not just them. Again, it it really is. It's uh, companies like Voltage. My name is Nick Chartier. And it's so funny. Nick Nick has kind of found a way to – because he won an Oscar for the Hurt Locker, right? So he's got like a pedigree on one side where he does a Dallas Buyers Club, club, but then he goes and he does like whatever Steven Seagal movie. Where, yeah, you know, I mean, because Voltage is technically a foreign sales company, but they get into everything else. But this is all done because of what Canon did. And that's why I love Electric Boogaloo, because they actually really show you that we're still feeling the effects. It's not just Millennium. I mean, over at New Line. Before New Line got like New Line was a subsidiary of Warner's, but before now it, it's Warner's. You know they're just yeah they control everything. But before that, I mean that's where my my sometimes partner Phil he came from New Line, and they would he learned that method through them. And he's like, no, you just toss this much at this one star, and it pays for the whole movie. That's why you have so many weird Charlie Bronson movies. You know, from canon, and then you have like movies like Man Best for, Man's Best Friend from New Line in '94. You know, this is a really weird movie you made, guys. But they could because yeah. they got Lance, they got Kevin Yeager to do the effect. Whatever it is, what it is. But so that was my kind of falling into um, being in the vicinity, if you will, of Dolph. And I always poke the boys. I always poke. So what's Dolph doing? I'm always doing. What's Dolph up to? So yeah, that's my day to day. That's that's what work is. I'm kind of in that business of what Canon did. Well, that that is so cool. Now, looking at Blackjack, I, I, I have to know, what was your experience with Blackjack? If you can go this back this far, and if you remember, when did you first see Blackjack? And what was your reaction then? You're not going to believe me when I say this. I had the TV, like it was just like, um, it was on USA, you know, Channel 8 in LA, or in Simi Valley where I was. And uh, it was midday. I was like pretending I was sick and I was out of school. And the milk scene was on. Okay. <laughs> and I just watched this madcap horseshit of, I mean, beautiful horseshit of, of like, why is this guy acting like this? In this beautiful action sequence, what is happening? What is Dolph doing? I did not know what this movie was at the time, but I remembered that milk scene. I was like, oh, holy yeah. hell. I was probably like a year. No, no, because it was 98. Was it, did it, it might have aired. Did it air? As the TV movie, yeah. So I think it was. I think it was filmed around the '97. But then I, I believe yeah. it came out. It got it got a video release around '98, '99, and then um, USA Network had aired it shortly after it got there its it um, official VHS premiere. So yeah, because I was I like honestly, it was a weird thing for me. I love Jackie Chan so much. I love the Hong Kong pictures and so on. And it's so easy to go from like, say, police story to, you know, hard-boiled. It's not a hard, you know, haha, But it's not a hard, like, big jump for me to make, for any person to make, you know? 
Yeah. And I was becoming obsessed with John Woo. I was. He was just like, again, the, the almost being a youth pastor and having those Christian theories and stuff in my head and, and how he would, even, even as like a, you know, a young kid, I still would see the, the doves, you know, or, you know, and know what <laughs> that meant. You know what I mean? So it is, I've had found my way going to Blockbuster, getting hard boiled, getting the killer. And then the magic of him making face. Now, if you remember, there was that time, this very cool but strange time, where Terrence Chang and John had come over here and, you know, Broken Arrow, which to me is just action movie perfection. Blackjack, Broken Arrow. I'm doing this out of, out of order, but it's just for my brain. Face Off, naturally, that was the big hit. Um, yeah. Ah, I just said that was the big hit. Okay, the big hit. That's one of them. The Corrupter and Replacement Killers. Remember that? That's that glut of John Woo, Terrence Chang. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. And I mean, you know, what's, um, what's so interesting about this is, yeah, it's kind of my experience as well is, you know, this, this came at pretty much the, the, I would say the apex of John Woo's American career because, yeah, he had Mm -hmm. come over and he had done Hard Target, then he did Broken Arrow. And what's interesting about this film is, yeah, this was filmed. Uh, right around, it was after Broken Arrow, I think around the same time as Face Off, and Dimension Films picked this up because, That's yeah, right. as we talked about, this was intended to be a, a television series, actually. And John Woo, my understanding was it was actually produced by the same company that did uh, the series Once a Thief. And John Woo had done yep. the pilot episode. Yeah, and John Woo had done the, the pilot episode for that. He had to honor his contract because he signed on for another pilot. And so he. He did this one. He did it, yeah, like I said, right after Face Off. He was working on two or three other major projects at the time, so he really didn't have, uh, you know, as, as much a hand in the, produce, in the post-production process on this one. But yeah, it was, for all intents and purposes, it was intended as a television series. For whatever reason, it wasn't picked up as a television series. And then Dimension Films, you know, they had, they had put out a couple Dolph Lundgren films at this point. But see, they saw John Woo as being the big selling point. And so, yeah, so they picked it up and they packaged it as a feature length film. And what's what's hilarious about this is, yeah, my experience with it is I remember first seeing it on um, Dimension Films. They would put trailers for pretty much all yes. of their films or the, the same films on on the VHS tapes for all their other films. And so I remember around this period, there was a trailer for Blackjack, which I played earlier in the episode. But yeah, there was a trailer for Blackjack that they would have attached to virtually all of their other Dimension films. And if you listen to the trailer, they pretty much repeat John Woo's name at least three times in the trailer because they knew that was the big way that they were going to sell this. Well, that happened with me, too, on, like, because the Dimension films of it all. Like, I was a Dimension nerd. I learned how to write scripts because of Scream. You know, yeah. so and by the way, act of contrition, like atonement for forgetting hard target where, you know, JCVD punches up a <laughs> snake in the face. But yeah, uh, yeah no, I mean, that's like it, it, it's it, and that sweet mullet. I sorry, I'm done. Um, But that was the, the, the trailer reel before. Like, so if you rented the rage with like Gary Busey and um, when the Roy Scheider I think was in it. You, you rented the rage, then you're going to see, you know, a, a trailer for playing God. You were going to see a trailer for Blackjack, all connected in their trailer reel. But if you yep. if you rented Scream Two, 
you're going to get Children of the Corn and Hellraiser and all the other things that they had. But you know that, like, Bob, that was all Bob. That wasn't Harvey. That was all Bob. Yeah. And, and, and the, in the, in the, you know, how they caressed things over there. I mean, like, what is the aspect ratio on Blackjack? It's, the aspect ratio sucks on that movie. I forgot what it was. Oh, yeah. Because like, it was made for TV. So you're shooting for TV. So John had to shoot for TV. And you're right. It was. It was, it was the once a thief, um, you know, uh, that whole thing. And I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I mean, if you haven't experienced Blackjack, like it, it is a wacky kin movie. It really is. And that's the, and that I think that's the big, big problem is it's difficult to really look at because it's not a movie. While Dimension Films packaged it as a movie, this is not a movie. This is a pilot for a potential yeah. television series. And so everything about this, I mean, anybody, you know, it's funny because I was um, in preparation for this. I went online and I, I read a few reviews and everything. And a lot of the reviews are pointing out about how there's way too many subplots in here. And none of the, you know, only about half of the subplots are, are wrapped up by the end of this. And it's like, well, nothing's resolved. They're yeah. making, they're making a television series. And that's what television series do. They have multiple story threads going on at once. And they're putting these threads out there to sustain a 12 to you know 18 episode series and so what we're watching is while they did try and tie it together to be a film this is not a film this is the launch pad for what was going to be a syndicated television series i'm assuming it was going to be on the usa network because if you remember right, in yeah, the late 90s it, yeah. yeah they had a few action-oriented shows one of which being uh la femme nikita so i i think they thought right. a project yeah. with Dolph Lundgren and John Wu was a pretty solid deal, a pretty solid bet. Well, you could go to like, I don't think it was, I mean, it might have been USA, but like Renegade, Lorenzo Lamas, you know? Oh, they, yeah. They, they did a lot of that. Uh, the Snake Eater himself. No, I, I, they did a lot of that. And and I think actually one of the hardest things, because I love Blackjack, I do, because I love how wacky it is. My issue, though, is this virtually, obviously, because again, TV pilot, virtually no blood. You know, yeah. which is not, that is, that is, because John is, because my feeling is I am a gore fan. I like blood in movies because I subscribe to the idea that if I'm letting my son watch this and he's not seeing the, the you know, what actually happens, I'm a, I mean, it's over the top, but at the same time, it's like, no, you're just like, oh, I got shot in the stomach and I die and I fall over. No, it's an ugly thing. And John always had that great, you know, the squibs that, that John would use in, say, The Killer. You know, they were big, huge, because John, he was always making a big opera. He was always making it ballet in some senses. His stunt, yeah, it's like the stunt work. It's like that crazy, I think it's up towards the beginning of the movie where Dolph jumps out and was jumps on the trampoline. Was it trampoline? The first, yeah. <laughs> yeah the, the first uh, the ten minutes of this film are wacky. They are. Oh, yeah. The milk. <laughs> The milk is a thing, right? Yeah. And there's one thing I want to throw out there as well before we fully get into the plot. I just wanted to, to, to put it out there. Around this period, I, I think they were a little, they, they were ahead of the curve in a sense, because I think around this period, a syndicated television show starring Dolph Lundgren, I think was an excellent idea. It really is a shame that this project, especially with John Woo behind it, that this particular project did not, did not latch and didn't slip. It would take with, off today. Uh, yeah, I think it would take off today. But if you if you think about it, 
around this time, Lundgren was, I'd say he was commanding the direct-to-video market. You know, his his box office stardom, it, you know, around in, in theaters may have not, uh, may, may have been waning. But it, in terms of direct-to-video, he was, he was doing pretty well. And so I think headlining a weekly TV show would have really given his career a big push. Because I, if you remember, I mean, this is going way back, but if you remember around this period, Carl Weathers had a syndicated TV show. Hulk Hogan had a syndic—excuse uh, me—had a syndicated TV show. So, yeah. and granted, those shows were not great. <laughs> but no. then again, neither neither is this one. So, I think it really could have worked. Although I will say this: well, first off, wait. So we're talking about like again the how it did it dimension, you know, gobbled it up. But let's let me go through this. So, uh, Jill the Ripper, right? That was one of them. Jill the Ripper came after after this one, yeah. Yeah, it came after, but it was another dimension, wasn't it? Um, actually, so I think sure that one was. was Sony. Really? That, that one I was, it? was Sony. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. It was. It was. No, because yeah. I would say, okay, so Men of War was Hollywood Pictures, wasn't it? Okay. <laughs> Men of War was actually Dimension. Uh, Hollywood Pictures, they handled Silent Trigger. Okay, because what? Because you know the, the same people over Hollywood Pictures. A lot of those yeah. people work for Dimension. So yeah, I'm Dolph saying was that in the Disney some, family for a period. <laughs> that's right, because and the wine seats. There was a conversation there that was like, we did these numbers for Men of War because I'm sorry again, Men of War. I will take a bullet for you know. It, oh yeah, it, it's, no. but I guarantee it. It's one of those things where like, okay, they're checking numbers internally. Oh, and boom, you know, you fall at that. So, anyways, go on with what you're saying. Yeah, no. So, like I said, I think Carl Weathers had a show. Hulk Hogan had a show. So, I think the idea of putting Dolph Lundgren around this period in a syndicated television show that would air on Saturday afternoons or whatever it may have been, it could have worked. And to, to give the film some credit, the character that they have tailor-made for Lundgren, it, it's a pretty cool character. It's a pretty, pretty slick character that I could see headlining a television show for multiple <coughs> seasons, which, which was the intent yeah. of this project. It worked. It was silly. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. just silly, so, that's all. Yeah. I mean... Well, and speaking of Sally, I mean, so, okay, yeah, we established this is a TV show. This is a pilot for a television series. And so <laughs> I, I have to laugh because on watching this on a repeated viewing um, earlier this week, the opening titles for this film scream of being a syndicated mm -hmm. television show. I just had to chuckle because when when the movie title appears, uh, Blackjack, when that when that <laughs> title appears on screen, Quickly underneath it, it says "presented in oh Dolby Digital." Oh my god! So <laughs> let you know well, that this is. What were you watching? Were you watching the DVD or what were you watching? Well, so yeah, this is okay. So I have it on DVD, and okay, so we talked about this on the last episode, but all of these films, virtually all of these films that Lundgren did around this '90s period, are on Amazon Prime, and so Blackjack is no different. Blackjack is on Amazon Prime, and yeah, it, uh, it it's it's a it's not a great transfer. It's mm -hmm. pretty truncated. But uh, but yeah, it's on Amazon Prime. You can also get it on DVD. They have it in like yeah, they have it on Blu-ray. Whoa whoa but, whoa uh, whoa! Back up. It's on Blu-ray. I did not know that. Oh my god. Yes yes. Well, Echo oh, no! Bridge, the company, you know, the, the company <laughs> oh, no! Echo Bridge, they purchased uh, quite a few titles from yes, the Miramax and uh, Dimension horrible. Library, and then They're they so repackaged them. Yeah, the, get the DVD transfers, but. Yeah. So, in any case, but yeah, the 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 opening of the film is pretty interesting because it it lets you know right away that Dolph Lundgren is Jack Devlin. He is a badass. He is is a guy who is not going to take shit from anybody, 
And I just love the uh, the, the opening scene. We have the, the owner of a casino. His name is Bobby. He is getting strong-armed by some Russian mobsters into handing over profits from this casino. We're in Atlantic City, and they're now threatening his daughter. So he calls upon Jack, none other than <laughs> Jack, Jack Devlin, Devlin, to help him out. <laughs> it's yeah. Jack Devlin. And and these opening scenes are interesting because it is quite the entrance for Lundgren's character. You know, he he enters the scene <coughs> in slow motion. This is yep. a John Woo film, so of course, of course, he's going to enter the film in slow motion. And he beats up a couple of toughs who are hassling him as he's entering the elevator. Um, he gets to display some martial arts, and he also pulls a couple playing cards that he uses as a blade. He cuts the tie off one guy yep. <laughs> with the playing card, and. You know, like I said, this is a John Woo production, so it's all done in his signature slow motion. And so the opening well, it's funny scenes is it's cool. almost like a double opening. Because, you know, you have the casino stuff, which is great. Mm-hmm. Casino stuff is, you know, is fun. But then I think it's not long before the next action set, which almost feels like a commercial break sort of deal. That goes back to the TV, right. thing, you know, made for TV. Because yep. that, that's where I got to was when that sequence started, but go ahead. So, well, yeah, I mean, and this is, and that that's one of the slight, I don't know, the, the opening scenes for me, as cool as they are, they don't gel with the rest of the storyline. Brian, what do you think of uh, the actress? What do you think of the actress the who girl? plays Casey? Uh, uh, I think it's, yes. I think it's hard to, I mean, it's hard to judge her. As a director, it's like, I, I got to say, okay. it's like, you know, we're only... She's terrible, but it, I don't know how much it was her. Like it could have been like John. John is John. You know what I mean. And at this point, I just recently watched an interview with him on the Killer, and his English was perfect. It was perfect, but it was not perfect then. Okay, it wasn't. And he's always been more of a melodrama guy. You know what I mean? He just—it's like a soap opera of violence. That's usually who he is. So I don't know. I think he was telling her just to yeah. go full force with it. Just, you know, completely earnest. You know what I mean? So it's hard for me to judge her, but it was awful, in my opinion. Yeah, I think he's telling her, okay, you're playing a little girl, so we need you to yes. act cute and have this teddy bear. <laughs> and which is which is fine. I wish they would have gone with a younger actress, like though, 40. in these scenes, because she's trying... <laughs> She's, she's trying forty with a teller teddy bear. <laughs> I don't know if she's forty. I think I think she's about twelve or thirteen. But oh, it's it's just not working. It comes off as more annoying than anything else. And there is a scene. I don't know if you, I don't know if you caught on it or not. But uh, Jack Devlin, so Lundgren's character Jack, he brings her back to the uh, to the mansion where she lives. And as as they walk in, she grabs her teddy bear and she looks at Lundgren and she and she holds the teddy bear and she's mimicking the teddy bear like apparently mm-hmm. the teddy bear is talking. And she says, welcome to my home in this ridiculous voice. And if you watch the scene, you can see Lundgren kind of looks at her like, all right, OK, yeah, whatever. And then he just wait, looks wait, away. Okay, but then I tell you, all right, so it's Chalyan Fat walking in and it's, it's filmed in China. You know what I mean? We could watch that scene, and it would feel completely yeah. normal for hardboiled. You know, maybe not hardboiled, but you know what I mean. Better tomorrow. Yeah, the, I, I would say the film actually peaks in these first ten, fifteen minutes. Yeah, Jack takes Casey back to her home. Uh, like I said, it's a mansion, and we get some amazingly impressive action sequences and stunt work. I mean, considering this is only ten minutes in, I mean, this is John Woo doing yeah. what John Woo does, and so these choreographed shootouts, like you said. 
It's like almost it watching is. a ballet or a dance move. And I mean, Lundgren is doing awesome in these scenes. I mean, he is he's doing the old John Woo trope of uh, welding a, a yes. pistol in each hand. And it's really cool. He's he's jumping over balconies, you know, and, and these these guys are clearly employed by uh, we haven't talked about him, but these guys are clearly employed by um, the Russian mobster uh, Kamarinov. But they're they're merely cannon fodder. I mean, we're given nothing else about them. Their their purpose. These bad guys. Their purpose in the film is just to show up. Yeah, and get chopped Jack up. Devlin yeah. to yeah, that's it. Blow away with no blood inside of them. They have no blood inside of their bodies, by the way. So no, just dark patches. They're, well, yeah. this is a TV show. Yeah, while the while the violence is typical John Woo balletic uh, orchestra, it's yeah, there is no blood whatsoever. And our first sequence with the milk. Okay, we're, oh we're, god, we're almost, the milk. We're not to we're the close milk yet, to the Brian. milk though. <laughs> but. <laughs> Yeah, our, our first scene, I kind of wonder, I don't know if it was intended to be a little comical or maybe if it's unintentional, but one of these bad guys has Casey held at gunpoint by one of the paid yeah. assassins, and she has her milk in her hand, and Jack instructs her very slowly, it's okay, Casey, you've got yes. milk. He and Casey, she pours, she pours the milk, <laughs> she pours the milk over the bad guy's forearm, and his slips under his arm, so sorry. allowing Dolph to blast him away. Brian, is, is this scene, what do you think? Was it, uh, it is, is genius. Is it... it is the most wonderful thing I've ever seen in my life. No, it's so stupid, but think about this. <laughs> so I think we talked about this had fallen after Broken Arrow, but I think it's just like a little bit before Face Off, right? I think it's like right before Face Off. Right, so check right. this out. So I'm watching Face Off today. Yeah. Um, for other reasons, but it does make sense. Where uh, you remember in Face Off, so Sean Archer, which is um, at this point John Travolta. No, at this point it's it's Nick Cage. So he's Caster Troy, but he's got Sean Archer's face, right? And he he, which this was disturbing, by the way, because it's hard not to talk about the all the Hollywood garbage going on. Well, bad stuff, the Me Too stuff. But remember, his daughter was like getting. Uh, this guy was forcing himself on the daughter. Do you remember this? It's towards the middle of Face Off. Oh, yeah, oddly enough. And I believe the actor was in that yes, 70s show, if I'm not mistaken. that is the guy mistaken. that got fired for rape. So that was really kind of one of those things. Like, he goes back, he's like, yes. can you edit me out of Face Off, please? No, anyway, so so he gets the daughter inside and yeah. gives her a cigarette to kind of be like, hey, I'm Caster Troy, but I'm really Sean Archer. And then he gives her the the, the, the switchblade. And he says, next time that guy does that, yeah, he says, stick it in his, uh, you know, thigh and twist. And so, at the end of the movie, he's got her at gunpoint, and she, you know, takes the knife and sticks it in and twists. Which is like this situation, except there's only making milk involved. And apparently a great lubricant to get out of this man's death grip. It's amazing. It's incredible. It's like, to me, (laughs) it was like a canon, you know, this like um, in Death Wish 3. When uh, Paul Kersey has the camera on his back, and he's just walking in front of these bad guys, just like walking in front. Look, I've got an expensive camera on my back. And so naturally, the guy goes and grabs it. So Paul Kersey shoots him with a giant magnum. You know what I mean? It's one of those moments where like in the 80s, yes. Maybe right now, no. You know what I mean? Like 98, 97, like, we're we're getting yeah. self-referential in our horror movies. We're a little bit cooler. Friends is whip smart on TV. You know, maybe don't do that now. 
No, but you know what? You know what does look cool? I honestly feel when I saw this in 1998, when I rented it from, oddly enough, Blockbuster, your yep. your alma mater. Yep. Uh, <laughs> but when I rented it from Blockbuster in 1998, and when I watched it again, what still, I'm sorry, what I think still looks so cool is the trampoline. Oh, it's it's wonderful. Okay, so we yeah, have Lundgren. Go ahead. He jumps out of the, he jumps off the balcony onto the trampoline, and as he's on his way back up, both hands again, John Woo. You know, no character in a John Woo movie cannot have a gun in both hands. A John Woo movie, your character needs two guns. And so as he's up in the air, just blasting away these bad guys, it's a cool looking scene. I always loved that no, scene. No, it's, it's so good. Like, I mean, that's the funny part because you're, you're, you're just now kind of getting over the laugh of Got Milk. And then he brings you back. You know, and that's right. one of those things where you're like, you know, and, and that's the genius of John Woo. And when you think about how cool it is that you had Dolph making a movie, do I wish she might maybe made a um, maybe made another one? You know, maybe made a different movie with with Dolph. No, I I want my blackjack. I'm just saying, I wish maybe they made another movie to go. Okay. You know, so we could have seen without yeah. the restraints on. Is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. No, I, I think. Yeah, I, I think. A Dolph Lundgren John Woo team up. I, I I wish we would have gotten something more akin to yeah. Hard Target. You know, Van Dam had his and his John Woo team up, and it was Hard Target. And I would say that Hard Target is probably, yeah, I, I think that is probably one of Van Dam's best films. And so, and a lot of that I think is due to John Woo's direction. It's just kind of a shame that I think both Lundgren and Woo are with this project are, are kind of restricted by the fact that it's a television show so they cannot go as as crazy as hard well, as that's as a, hard that's target. a funny point to bring up actually because what that was 92 or no 93 94 93 somewhere around there yeah right yeah. But the funny part is it's well known and and um one of my good friends edited that movie and so i'd always poke at him i'd be like what was it like where john and he's like he's amazing but i had sam raimi a lot in the room because that was his first movie here, and they didn't trust Universal. Didn't trust John at that point. They were like, "Oh, he's going to be a language barrier, right?" So they put. That's why Sam's a producer on that movie, because Sam was there every day to take over if John wasn't working. And oh, wow. so you got to imagine having that on your shoulders, and he's all cool about it. John talks about the day like it's water under the bridge, you know. But I wish yeah. John. I don't know if you, because in your research, I don't know if you ever did you, you heard anything John say about this movie. Oof. No, that, that that's the that is the one of the weird things about this. Yeah, is he did this film? I think I almost get get the kind of the vibe that he did this film out of obligation to kind of fulfill a contract. And I I think that this is my theory about it. But I think he kind of figured, okay, if I direct, I'll direct the pilot ap- episode to kind of help get this yeah. some sales and. You know, that way they can order it to series. And then I'll I'll stay on as an executive producer, so then that way I can kind of reap those benefits as well. I think that was kind of his thinking. That's my theory. But real quick, what's also interesting that, that I wanted to bring up, the, the little girl, so Casey freeing herself with the milk, it actually is quite similar to a scene that John Woo did in another one of his films, one of his uh, films in Hong Kong, called Heroes Shed No Tears. <laughs> so I think he was... He had some creative control, and he was uh, gonna. He was pretty much aping his own work. Well, if when you, you say will. creative so. control, think about the DP of this, the director of photography of Blackjack. He did Once Upon a Time in China. Uh, so he got, yeah. He oh, that's had, right. Yeah. He had a DP that he, you know, John didn't direct Once Upon a Time in China. I'm just saying, you know, a great Chinese DP. So there was kind of, I think, at least behind the camera, 
a real gelling of because I think it's only one credited writer on um, on Blackjack, uh, which doesn't mean there was one writer on it. Yes, <laughs> there's, yes. there's one credited writer on it. But I would say because like Peter yeah, Lance, Peter Lance was, uh, was it yes. Pack Blue? Did he do Pacific Blue or something like that? I think if I remember correctly. Yep. Also, yeah, on, also USA. on USA. So <laughs> again, the USA theory I think is. A hundred percent true. Also, USA. Um, I don't know if at that at that time if they're owned by Universal, but they are owned by Universal today. It is sad okay. though. It's weird that they would be like, "Ah, oh, sell it, you know, give it to Dimension." You know, that's a very weird thought. But I know. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. So we're going through. Yes, the trampoline is yeah. is John Woo perfection. Yeah, and what is not okay? So I have so many things to say about this next part. Okay, so these opening scenes. One of the bad guys throws a bomb in this room that blinds Jack. So it lets out this intense white light that blinds Jack temporarily, causing him to develop a a certain fear, or maybe it's not so much a fear, but it's an unease of the color white. And so before we dissect this, you know, okay, I get what they're trying to do again. They're trying to order this to a series, and they're trying to give the character of Jack Devlin a uh, an, an yeah. Achilles heel or yeah. a kryptonite in a sense. So I get that. I understand that. I, I'm trying to figure out, though, at what point in the writing process did they figure the best kryptonite to give him was a phobia of the color white. Well, you know, that, <laughs> that is what I've I'm struggling with. I've thought about it for, for probably a, way too much time than I probably should have over years of my life. Um, you know, just in those wondrous, ponderous moments of like, okay, well, I'm stressed out about something. Let me think about Blackjack for a while. Um, no, but I think it, what it was, okay, so, because white, so the, yeah, this is hard to unpack. So the flash bomb goes off. And already you have so much, you have so many character things before this. Again, like you said, he's, he's, you know, kind of brought in as a badass for this guy and he meets the girl. And this is even before we get into the supermodel. You know, there's a lot of stuff. To unpack but now he gets this debilitating yeah. thing where i guess you know it's like um like when you're watching uh when someone puts um you know night goggles on you know and you see that you see the world differently and all that kind of shit i think that was kind of the idea that now he can't see i don't this is stupid i'm sorry as i'm saying this i'm just going like this is not this is a really maybe you just like the title blackjack and someone was like he should have an aversion <laughs> i would have just made him lactose intolerant honestly it's weird. I mean, it, it's it's an odd. And what what's so what's so funny about it is, all of the reviews always love to point out. Oh yeah, the Dolph Lundgren movie where he's afraid of the color yeah. white. And so and and you can see, to Lundgren's credit, you can see that he oh. is trying. I mean, yeah. he is trying to to play these scenes and try and make it um as serious as possible. But I I would just I I, I really would like to talk to the writer <laughs> and to the production team and think okay. Did you really think that was the best, yeah. <laughs> the best kryptonite that you could give your hero? Who, I mean, and we we haven't talked about it, but yeah, was this the best kryptonite to give your hero who has no problem welding a gun in each hand and also is a master at card tricks, and then he's gonna be uneasy around the color white? It's 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 weird. It's an odd storyline. Yeah, no, to, again, it's <laughs> to have your, this to have is your even before. Mind you, again, we're, I think we're about, what, 10 minutes in? 15 tops? Right? We're not, we're still pretty. Yeah, but yeah. You're, you're, when you look at what Blackjack's about, when you look at the, the, the logline and the, whatever's on the back of the DVD, you know, it always, 
up towards the top, it talks about the supermodel and the and the stalker, which you're getting to. Sorry, spoiler alert. But we aren't even yeah. There's no whiff at this point that we're going to have that much more to unpack. You know, it doesn't stop throwing things at us right. until I believe there's even the entrance of a character that you would think is rather important until like the third act, which is always a wonky thing to do. But again, it was they were this was off of a Bible. This was off of a pilot that had a Bible for at least a first season and a second season. Typically, we have to do up to five seasons. So, you know, you're putting everything in there. And I love the fact that you said that, that, that it's essentially establishing a Bible or a world because that's exactly what it does. You know, these opening scenes just end. And like I said, I think the film kind of oddly peaks in these in these opening 10, 15 minutes. But yeah, the, the opening scenes just end. And that appears to be the end of that storyline. It just switches completely to the main storyline. I, I like to say it's the B story when, oddly enough, I think the A story yeah. is. <laughs> these first 10 minutes are more yeah. interesting. But yeah, it shifts to the B story where, like you said, we have a supermodel has arrived in town. Uh, the supermodel's name is Cinder James. She's played by actress uh, Cam Heskin. And a sadistic assassin has this infatuation with her. Uh, the assassin's name is Rory Gaines, and he's played by the actor Philip McKenzie. I really haven't seen these two actors in, in really anything else. Yeah, it was pretty this. much... Blackjack was was all that I've yeah, seen him in. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it's extremely clear that producers were attempting to make this a television series, like it, like we talked about, to sustain uh, at least, if, if not multiple seasons, then at least one season. Because within these opening 15, 20 minutes, okay, so after the, the mansion shootout scene, all of a sudden it throws at us multiple side characters. Okay, we have Jack's psychiatrist, yep. played by Kate Vernon. She's famous from Pretty in Pink and the show Battlestar Galactica. Uh, One thing I think is so interesting about Kate Vernon's character, the psychiatrist, is she has a penchant for cigars. (laughs) I think that's an interesting touch. I even forgot that. I watched it like last week. (laughs) We also get... (laughs) We also get Jack's butler. of course we got a butler. uh, His butler also is... (laughs) Played by... Sal Rubinek. Damn right, Sal Rubinek. Has an eye patch, and they never. <laughs> you never know why. <laughs> and they never give us. We never know why he has an eye patch. But yeah, he comes in. He's. It's weird because he's kind. Okay, not only is he the cook and the butler, but he's also. He appears to be Lundgren's. Um, you know, James Bond had the character Q. Yeah. Q and so it, it's it's weird. It's weird because he almost appears to be Q because in the third act of the film. He's helping Lundgren out with uh, with this assignment. He's he's looking at some of the the, the, at the photographs. If you remember, Lundgren brings home these photographs, and he's he's dissecting the. Give it to the one-eyed guy. He apparently has has a. (laughs) Exactly, it's weird. And the other character, I think, is this is probably one of the most problematic things with the film. Uh, Casey, the niece Casey comes back. Jack is saddled with. he's, (laughs) He's suddenly saddled with becoming a father figure to Casey after her parents die in a car accident, which is weird because you would think that maybe he would be protecting Casey because her parents were killed by the Russian mobsters, but no, it's a car accident. Yeah. It's, it's like a, it's like a weird, like, like, and I think at some point, like this, again, it's always, you can answer so much about this by going back to the core of what it is. You know what I mean? Like, I go, oh, yeah, it's a pilot. Right. But but at the same time, that shouldn't really dissuade you. Like, I, 
I'd watch it anyways. And you know, and, and another interesting thing about it, if you step outside of this and kind of look at it and you're like, okay, what was justified? You know, the show justified. This is kind of like, right, if, right. if the first 10 to 15 minutes were what this movie or this, you know, pilot was, we kind of, you could have dropped some of the Cinder James stuff in there and you could have done certain things. I mean, I still think there's way too many strings, but, at the, but I mean, right. at that time during the renegade, uh, martial law, um, Walker, Texas Ranger period of television, they were doing like, you know, 24 episodes for like FX starts and Sons of Anarchy has 12 to do, has 14 to do. See, you have a very compact story you can tell. Right. And it's great. But this is like Blackjack really would have had a chance if it was just the first 15 minutes. Seriously. Like just and this extend yeah. out the first 15 minutes. Now he's with this little girl. And then, yeah, maybe it's like blowout and the car accident is caused by the Russian mob. You know, ah, they, you know, fucked his car up or something and he drives away. Oh, boom. Anyways, yeah, go on. I mean, this this movie, that's why I started laughing so much. It's like, I don't think you could talk about this movie without just kind of cracking up, but like still realizing this is why it is so cool because you're cracking up, you know? Well, and, you know, as I was watching it, I was thinking, okay, yeah, the supermodel subplot, that appears to be the main, the main focus of this thing. But I was thinking to myself, I almost wonder if that character is even necessary. Couldn't it just be Jack is is tasked with um, becoming a father figure to Casey, but also protecting her because the Russian mobsters from earlier in the film are after her now as well. I mean, because the Russian mobsters just completely drop off. We never find out about them again at all. I guess, assuming this did go to a series, maybe they would have come yeah. back. But it, it, it's interesting because the head guy who was strong-arming Bobby at the beginning of the film, uh, we—he's not dead. No, I mean, no, he's still there. <laughs> Jack killed all of his paid assassins, but he's still there. So, yeah, that, that's one of the things that's uh, that's slightly a little frustrating. Yeah, yeah. You followed my plans again, Jack Devlin. You know, I don't know. Like, what the hell? It's, it's just like yeah. <laughs> it, it's. But but see, but that does lead into this kind of cool. I mean, there is a kind of a. I don't. You remember um, Assassins with uh, Antonio Banderas and Sliced Alone? Oh, yeah, yeah. I believe that was the uh, yep. Richard Donner and I think the Wachowski. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. And it was, yeah. it was a weird, like, truncated, like, thing like Brian Helgeland came in and started to fit it more towards what Dick wanted to do. But at the same time, like, I always found this kind of, like, weird connection between, like, Assassins and Blackjack. You know, and it really is because... Oh, It's because of the, 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 um, the interplay between What's-His-Ass, uh, Rory... Right? Yeah, it's Rory. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and Jack, and, you know, but then there's a forced love story that, that, that would always bug the hell out of me. That he and Cinder start boning. That, it was forced to me. I, I mean. And they hint, they hint that they're, that they are starting a relationship and the sexual attraction among them is, is, is out of control. But yeah, they never, they never fully um, right. That's right. show yes. it. Like I said, they hint at it, but yeah. So it, it, it's weird. But if if this story didn't have uh, way too many side, side characters at this point, we get another one thrown oh, in. Um, great genre actor Fred Williamson. The hammer uh, he shows himself. up playing the character of Tim Hastings. Yes, yes. He plays this old friend of Jack's from the U.S. Marshal Service, and he tries to convince Jack 
to take on the bodyguarding duties of Cinder James. But Jack declines, probably one of my favorite set of lines. Jack declines because he says, quote unquote, he's a father now and he needs to find a dentist and set up the carpool and do father things. Because <laughs> when I so... had a kid, that was the first thing I had thought of. <laughs> oh, I find yes. a dentist for this kid. Her, her teeth suck. She's 40 years old. She's losing all of them. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, my, my hands, my hands are, full. are full. My hands but, are but full. But that's funny because, so. you know, I put on um, I put on Joshua Tree today to our Army of One. And I saw, like, Ken Forey in it. Totally forgot Ken was in that. Uh, it, yeah, yeah. Well, it's amazing because I forgot Fred Williams, Fred Williams uh, Sin was in this one as well. And, yeah, you do forget that, I mean, because they, they are genre actors who have a storied career. Yeah, they, you know, honestly, for African-American actors in, in B-movies, you know, for, for my money, Fred the Hammer Williamson, I, I mean, that great moment in From Dust Till Dawn where uh, if you have something to say to me, say to them, say to me first. That great, oh, it's great. Awesome. Come on, Sex yeah. Machine. Awesome. Fred the Hammer Williamson is incredible and, and his indelible <laughs> mark on cinema. And Ken Forey is incredible and his indelible mark in cinema. Carl Weathers, you know, you kind of have the same guys, you know, those are the, the I, and it's kind of sad to say, this is pre-Wesley Snipes. Got to remember that. This is pre-Always yeah. Been on Black Snipes. You know, I personally don't like so much anymore, but uh, I probably shouldn't have said that. I don't like him. But anyways, it's not that I don't <laughs> like him. I don't like his agents. That's what I don't like. Uh, but, you know, it was great. When, I mean, when Fred shows up, that's the thing. It's like, so, yeah, it's another character to throw in the, the proverbial gumbo that we have. But at the same time, I'm like, it's Fred the Hammer yeah. Williamson. I ain't going to be mad at it. Well, they throw his character in. I honestly think his character is thrown in um, for plot convenience because Rory Gaines shows up once again, taking aim at Cinder James and Tim Hastings. This is Fred Williamson's character. He is caught in the crossfire and shot. And so I think this is the moment that gets... Jack Devlin to realize, okay, I now have to step in because this best friend that I that I have, who really was only established about five minutes ago yeah. in the film, yeah. I, <laughs> I have to I have to go after and um, I have to protect this. Model. If you had to, if you really had to have the Cinder James stuff, you really had to. Like you were hard pressed. Why couldn't you just have it because he does these services and so he got another job to pay right. for the kid? I don't care. I mean, just don't, you don't need to do that. But it's, it's, again, it's that earnestness of, I want to say that was a John Woo note. I'm going to stake it right here. I'm going to say Woo said, no, no, no. He needs a friend or something, you know, because that's what he would do. Every, every John Woo yeah. movie has, has family, friends, uh, God, doves, super amount of blood. Two wielding operatic. I mean, that's basically who John is. Well, and you know, we talked about it already, but yeah, you can tell. I mean, that they wanted this to be R-rated, but they're also restrained because this is a yeah. television show. I mean, for example, you know, you mentioned it already. None of the shots that anyone takes are ever shown. We never get to see any squib work whatsoever. And what really bugged me was the scene in the hospital. So Gaines shows up again. Uh, he tries poisoning uh, Hastings with potassium chloride, Why? but he fails and Hastings lives. Exactly. Why couldn't they have just killed off Hastings? Wouldn't that have done, wouldn't that have done the job in getting, uh, in getting the character of Devlin to go forward? But yeah, they, they, he just fails. And then as a villain, it's kind of like, well, this is kind of a weak ass villain. I'm sorry if he's just going to fail at every one yes. of his assassination attempts so he fails bad. at. 
So <laughs> so bad. And I'm like, Dolph Lundgren's here. Why? I, you know, I've seen I, I come in peace. Why Why are you having trouble with this guy? No, seriously. And there's like, like dirt bikes yeah. or whatever the hell every other second right, when you get into the action scene. Like, or motorcycles, but are they, they kind of like dirt yeah. bikes. I remember that, whatever. I'm done. Yeah, no, I hated the hospital. Terrible. Well, and Jack tries unsuccessfully to nab Gaines again in the hospital, but unfortunately, boom, he is lost in a sea of white due to all of the doctor's lab coats. His phobia kicks in and he fails, unfortunately. So again, that, uh, that, that motif, the, the white kryptonite motif comes back in the film. This is at least the third time or so that, that we see it render Jack I don't want to say useless, but unable to follow well, You're getting through. close to my favorite scene in the movie. And and that's like the weird thing about it okay. is that it's like there are a lot of times that they remind you, oh, no, white's bad. Like they do that too many times. I'm like, I get it. I know what's happening. That's why I say lose the whole hospital. Yeah. Well, Jack does decide to become the bodyguard for Cinder James, and she is under the influence of all these prescription pills. Um, oh God. This is one of the scenes, Brian. Okay. So I don't know if this is your favorite scene or not, but if I had to excise one scene from this film, it might be here. So yeah, she's under the influence of all sorts of prescription pills, but luckily she has Jack here to rehabilitate her. And how does he decide to rehabilitate her? Salsa dancing. Dude. Hey, but think about it. Think about it. We, you remember Saved by the Bell. We all remember Saved by the Bell. I remember Jesse Spano. She's, she's taking all those. <laughs> she, I'm so excited. And, and, and he's trying to calm her down and everything. Like it was that. It was exactly that scene. It's like that's what it was. It's, it's, it's a bizarre moment in the film. And then later on, less than maybe five, ten minutes later, we also find out that he's an unlicensed chiropractor. Who alleviates Cinder's yes. back pain? Do you remember uh, this scene? Of course, I that was. A, I'm a guy who suffers from chronic back pain, yeah. and I was like, not as a kid. As a kid, I was just like, I'm bored. Exactly, they're boring. But you know, these scenes we talked about it. But you know, these scenes they're clearly included to add some kind of sexual tension between Jack and Cinder. But you know, in the end, they just they come off as bizarre, weird, out of place. However, you want to describe it, but they. They, they almost don't belong in, in these proceedings. They don't belong in a film directed by John Woo where 40 minutes earlier, Dolph Lundgren was jumping on a trampoline and blowing away these bad guys. And suddenly now he's salsa dancing? Yeah. Like, I don't know. And so they decided, oh, we'll give you what you want for 15 minutes. But then, no, I, again, I, I'm saying we're getting there. We're getting to my favorite moment. So keep going. Well, we also get some, I don't know if you picked up on this or not, but it seems like every time Jack is on screen, anytime he enters the scene, they play this suave saxophone yes, music. It seems to come in and kind of let you know that, mm. that Jack is here. I mean, so the, the, one of the things that doesn't hold up watching it in 2018, 20 years later, I guess. Well, I mean, I think that also that's kind of a, that's left over from, you know, the, the Michael Kamen, Eric Clapton scores or that for the Lethal Weapon movies with those great sax moments. And, um, and right. And oh, that, yes. like, that did, yes. that ran over. Like, even when Cayman wasn't doing the Clapton stuff, he was he went to the last Boy Scout, which he didn't want to do. But when he did last Boy Scout, th there was, there was like this proliferation in the late eighties, well, mid eighties, mid to late eighties into the mid nineties. Of that saxophone shit. I don't remember who scored Blackjack, and that's, I'm a score nerd, so, um, that's gotta say something. 
But uh, because it was just still, to me, it was just like crappy TV movie music. No, that's all it is. But, you know, as we progress in the film, Cinder James, her cover is blown. And it, it's blown basically because she had some of these, uh, some, some of her prescription pills were delivered to her hotel. And despite Lundgren's character, despite Jack disguising her, uh, they're tailed. And another impressive shootout entails, this time one in the woods. You know, it's a really cool scene, but here's my slight issue with it. So, yeah, we get to see some more John Woo stuff. Um, once again, Lundgren has a gun in each hand. He is, and he's chasing down these bad guys. But what's interesting is Rory Gaines, I always thought he was a psychopathic stalker who worked alone. Yeah. And suddenly he, there's these other guys on motorbikes and did, did Gaines hire these guys? I mean, who are these? Who who are the other villains working for Gaines on the motorbikes? I think they just they cut something. Something was cut, and they just okay. felt like okay. So we went through like, like the hired goons in the er earlier part of the movie, and so just by your eyes, you almost accept that when you kind of lose out on this cool thing that you know. And it's done so well in Broken Arrow. It's done so incredibly well in Face Off. When you have two dudes, just two dudes, and they're firing at each other, it's yeah. exciting. And John knows how to do that so oh, yeah. well. So I felt like it was something that was completely cut out of the movie because, yeah, it makes no sense. This guy is – and Rory, if I remember before the end of the movie, which is, again, another wackadoo thing, you know, you're kind of just following because it's like he's just an obsessed stalker. And that's why it's, that's why to me, the, the Hollywood, or not Hollywood, the uh, hospital scene, that's why I say lose it. Because I, when we first meet him, I believe he's, he's setting up a shot on his rifle. Am I right? That's a little first time we see Roy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm kind of like going with that. And that's, that's a lot of the assassins that I got from it. Uh, the assassin connection. And that scene was pretty cool. It was, it was, it was, okay, this guy's a psycho and he's like in love with her and he wants her dead. That was what my mind did. Right. And then, you're killing the bodyguard. Okay, I can see why you kill a bodyguard, but you're kind of a pussy, but all right, we'll move on. And then you're right. That's why I've always had a problem with the motorbikes, because the motorbikes play again in my favorite scene, which I believe is really close and maybe even connected, but I think it's really close after. So go ahead. Yeah, no, I mean, it's a cool scene. Dolph commandeers one of these motorbikes, and he's, you know, firing, firing his gun at these, uh, at these guys. I mean, we get great stuff, because, again, it's John Woo, so you get a lot of slow motion yeah. stuff. I mean, he, I, I think Dolph, he, even, he blows away one of the guys as the guy is in yep. the air on his motorbike. I mean, it just looks really, really cool. And Lundgren is able to, so his character is able to, um, on his motorbike, he does follow Rory Gaines into a milk and thank factory you. and circle and the square. So I'll, I'll, I'll let you, I'll let you tell us about this scene. So, okay. okay I, I want to ask you, but there's the thing that we have to really think. So at any movie, any movie that happens, we, there's the idea of the suspension of disbelief. You know what I mean? I'm going into alien. Well, I don't think that alien really exists, but I'm just going to let it happen because I want a good story. I want a lot of fun. Why in the, how in the name? I mean, how did that happen? I might have missed something the 90,000 times I've seen this movie. Yeah. I may have missed something where, like, he really just picked up on the white thing. And I think he does. I think that, no, he doesn't. Because there's that moment when they get into the milk factory. And I'm just saying, and this is why I'm having trouble saying it, because I'm so excited right now. I'm like Jesse Spano. Because 
it's so exciting the fact that this guy has this this thing with the white and he can't really see it and he's got the phobia and which you know to me it was always just like he couldn't see it never really got phobia from it just that he couldn't really with his eyes after the flash bomb the flashbang grenade or whatever that's just like what happened to his his vision so just the idea that the randomness that he would i could go outside right now and get into a thousand fights i could be all over this city and i guarantee you i would not fall into a milk factory yeah <laughs> the fact that there is a milk factory and nothing is said of the milk factory before the milk factory we just end up in the goddamn milk factory and it's beautiful i mean they have that ramp down into it and there's the, the dirt bike guys and i was kind of done with the dirt bike that and it hate it stupid whatever it was cool to watch him kill somebody on a dirt bike but after that happened i was just over it and to, they're in this milk factory and the second that rory realizes that oh this is how i'm gonna get him you know and i believe he starts shooting the jugs right the glass and it starts breaking and all the milk starts spilling all yeah. over the place and they're in and Dolph does this amazing thing, and and he you know needs more credit for this. He plays the wounded fighter. He plays wounded really really well. You know, like he can play fuck yeah, I'm a badass all yeah. day. But and a lot of you know a lot of the, the the big muscle guys really didn't do it as well as 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 Dolph did, where it's like oh no, in the you know late second act into the third act, you have to have your lead beaten down right so he could come up and save the day Dolph played that and I'm probably gonna get made fun of for saying this but Dolph played that to Mel Gibson levels of good no he's he's doing a great job as as ridiculous it is as it is talking about it yeah no I mean but Lundgren is he's doing a good job in it you're in you're in the movie business I am not but I'm curious that's clearly not real milk that they're using do you have any idea what oh what, what do you think it is that they're using? I, in I imagine it was, it was probably just some kind of, um, some kind of, you know, watery something just died. Like seriously, because it is, it's not milk. You can okay. see the, the consistency of milk versus, and that would have been a hellish day on the shoot. Because if you ever got milk on yourself, it was like, again, my son's 14 months old. Oh, God. Yeah, so, yeah. I, you know, you test the milk on your arm. It's terrible. Uh, so if that was. Oh, I, I have a four and a two year old. There you go. So, you know, I have a four and a two year old at home. So. I, I know all about spilled milk on the table. As soon as that stuff spills, you've got to clean that shit up yeah. immediately. Or you got a problem. Or else you're going to have a smelly. Yeah. yeah. I just hated life after that. And that's why you do a long movie business. But, I mean, that's the thing. And 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 I will say this again, because John Woo loves this kind of thing that in the third act, like, or the late second act, into the third, because this is a very wonky act structure. But, you know, in, in Face Off, it was... Um, uh, Caster Troy's apartment was kind of that moment that you were like, "Oh shit, okay, now it's going here." And then it ended up on the, you know, in the church because John Woo, so you find yourself in that church. So it would, but that's the thing. And there's the there's the mirrors in Face Off, and uh, why don't we just shoot each other or some shit like that? And they turn on each other. It's the big moment in the trailer. Yeah. Boom, you know, and in uh, Broken Arrow. It's they're in the they're in the the shaft, and he's gonna detonate the bomb underground. You know what I mean? That was that big moment, and John's so good at that. Now in Blackjack, that big moment is in a bunch of King Milk. You know, it's just said like two really cool things, and then King Milk Factory. 
it's yeah. just insanity. And, and just, I'm so happy to say that it happened and I've seen it a thousand times. Cause there is this little, I figure it like he, mm-hmm. uh, there's the, is it the shotgun that he's getting the shit kicked out of him with? He keeps hitting him with it. Yeah. yeah. So it's a shotgun. He uses the butt yeah, of it. Yeah, he uses the butt it. of yeah. it and he's beating the crap out of him. And it's great because there is this like awesome effect of the watery milk substance just flying in the air. And it's, again, it's, it's adding, uh, texture is what you would say. You're adding texture to the scene. And, and they do a really good job of that, but it's just so laughable. But I defy you. It's like, you're laughing for a minute, right? Like, oh my God, how did you get the milk factory? You're laughing. Ha ha. This is funny. But then you're also going like, all right, well, it's kind of cool. You know, it does have that. So that's why this movie is s- well, synonymous. And- what did I text you today? I just texted you, milk. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's it's weird. I mean, it, it comes in, it, it's bizarre. And look, I mean, and I understand where they're coming from because, okay, if his character is going to be uneasy around the color white or he's going to he's gonna be blinded in a sense by the color white, well, what is one of the first things you think of that is Got white? Milk. milk, of course. So... Yeah, so I, I understand where they were going for in that scene, but yeah, it just it's it's odd. It it's it's interesting. But it is it is memorable. That's I mean, it, yeah, you no, know, for for better or worse, when the when the film is over, this I would say this and the trampoline scene are the two things that, that you remember the most. And you know what? It could be worse. I mean if, if those are the two things that you're remembering from Blackjack, it, it could be because sometimes much, you don't even remember worse. two. So I, I, I give it a pass yeah. on that. Yeah, so, so, <laughs> so as we move on, we do get some, uh, we find out some backstory on Lundgren's character, uh, the the Devlin character. We get a little bit of backstory. I think it, it's weird because it comes in almost a little too late in the film. But again, it's not a film. This is this was going to be a TV series. We find out that he used to travel with his father his father was a card counter, and that's you know one of the one of the, I, I guess that that kind of provides us the backstory and how Lundgren was able to learn all the card tricks that he that he knows. But yeah, his he was unable to save his father from being killed by these by these casino thugs. He inherited his treasured lighter, and he always kind of felt that he was responsible for not hearing his father's uh, calls when when his father was killed. Yeah, and you're not getting that till almost the end of the movie. So. <laughs> so just so you know, I'm sorry to say it like that, but it's true. You're not getting all of that information until almost the end of the movie. We are given, as far as information, though, we are given Gaines true motives for stalking Cinder. Uh, we find out that he's her, I, I guess he's her jilted ex-husband, and he's also a failed actor, which is really weird for it to come in to play that suddenly he's this failed actor at this point in the film because they never touched upon that. I don't think they did earlier in the film, um, but his idea is that he figures if he can't have her, no one else can. Hence why he has put her in his crosshairs and has been trying to kill her throughout the past 45 minutes of the film. And he's, he's got to like, rem- I, you know, I married an actress. I work with actors all the time. And except for like the action movie guys, actors are wieners. So he's got a giant like amount <laughs> of like dexterity and, balls and gravitas for for a failed actor and that, and now i guess everybody who's on the dirt bikes are probably just failed actors they're all like his acting apparently. so yeah no that's where you get into the, like his lair right are we at his lair yet yes yeah, so he, he's in a lair and uh and the, this is the scene where lundgren brings along his butler to uh to assist him and yeah uh <coughs> his butler while he's helpful while he's helpful uh mentally in in helping uh in helping devlin 
figure out the various methods and the various motives. Physically, he he's not much of a force. It's Sal he gets, Rubinek. He gets, <laughs> there's not much more to say, but uh, but he does survive. Again, it's a TV show, so he does survive. And I mean, hey, what would your show be if your if your comedic butler wearing the eye patch dies in the pilot episode? And you you so want Sal Rubinek on he, your of show? Course is going to well, live. Sal Rubinek is a is a real like yeah. he's a that guy actor that everybody knows, and so to have him on that show. They would be solving crimes, and I'm—I bet you—you you could ask Sal Rubinek about blackjack. He'd tell you some interesting shit. Oh yeah, I know. I, I would. I would love that. Is one interview. Yeah. I will try and nab. So <laughs> come on and talk about blackjack. So, but as we as we get to the end, I mean, we're pretty much at the uh, in the final final what fifteen twenty minutes of the film. But uh, yeah, Jack Devlin knows that Cinder's agent has made a deal with the other bodyguards under Jack's command. Basically, his idea is that this is the agent, of course. His idea is that she's worth the same to him, alive or dead. So they fire Jack. Jack does show up at yet another runway show where Gaines is also in attendance. He is able to kidnap Cinder. And this is where we get some more fun gunplay from Dolph. Because Dolph, his character, is able to trail Gaines. And we get to see Devlin fight his own phobia and take on Gaines, who's wearing white, mind you. Oh, God. I mean... Your villain who knows that the hero has a phobia of white, well, he's he's going to be wearing white. And so, yeah, he goes into a room that is completely adorned with white sheets and white curtains. And, I mean, it's 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 something else, Brian. Yeah. I... <laughs> no, it is. But, he, but you know, it's curtains. And, and that's like, because I don't know, and I might be stupid here. Does he release any doves at any point in this? Doesn't. Right? No, no doves. You would think, though, with it being a John Wolf, mm-hmm. right? Wouldn't you think the doves would come in? Well, uh, yeah. That'd be a great way to end uh, it. That's what I, I would, would say. Think. Like, I mean, again, just the fact that there's not a church and there's not, like, which I think that the in in this case, uh, the sheets represent the the doves and, and the, the, like, I think it's in a flat, isn't it? It's like a flat or a warehouse sort of thing in New York. Which yeah, is insanely yeah. expensive, by the way, and a failed actor couldn't. But okay, I'm not going to do that. Milk factory. I'm just saying. But no, it, it, I think in this case it was like he put in. He's like, gotta have the doves, and the, and you know the producers were like, John, how much doves cost? How about we get you some sheets? It's like fine, <laughs> and then they did that. But but yeah, I mean, it is one of the more strange. Like at that point, because I thought it reached its apex in the milk fight, so everything after it was just kind of blah. I didn't care to hear yeah. any of that shit. I mean, the agent shit. I have no time for that. But um, but no, I mean, that's the thing. It's like, but they're going out on a, on a note where they're showing, again, reminding you of the fun action. I mean, now, what do we got? We have opening, deals with the guys, um, big old gunfight in the mansion. Uh, it's just stupid. I see, I don't think it's any good, the stuff of the, the hospital and the, you know, he tries to take a shot at Cinder and all that. That stuff kind of sucks. Uh, we have the motel outside of the motel, which is great in the woods. Great gunfight. We have the milk fight. And I'm on to six here. And then we have the ending fight, right? So that's six fights. Right. Which ain't half bad yeah. for, what, 90 minutes? Well, and uh, this should be 90 minutes. This clocks in at 112 minutes. Well, then I take so it all back. this is just shy of being two hours. That's, yeah, that, that, and that's one of the other detriments to the film. 
is this this film is too long. I'm sorry. This should be a 90, 95 minute film with credits. Um, and War the was. fact that it is well over a hundred minutes. Yeah, no, this is. But you know, like you said, I, I do, I do like all the action that is in here. I actually think that the, like I said earlier, how the first first ten minutes of the film, I feel like it kind of peaks in those scenes. Yeah. But you know, the the milk fight, I think that almost should have been the the final fight. I think that would have been excellent as well. I do, I do though. I have to laugh. It it's one of those things that just doesn't play well. I do have to laugh at how he is able to finally break down the walls of his phobia. He starts, he starts reciting happy things that are white. So we see him uh, saying big fluffy clouds and bunny rabbits and sugar. He also seems to come to terms with him losing his dad. It's, it's, it's kind of weird, but I guess by him coming to terms with all this and, and like I said, breaking down the walls of his phobia, he is able to finally get a shot off at Gaines and kill him in the process. Yeah. That shit happened, guys. Hey, <laughs> listeners, that shit happened. If you haven't watched the movie, spoiler alert, whoever listens to the commentary track before they watch the movie. Um, <laughs> but also, that happens. And, and it's so weird. And the thing is, yeah. with, with Dolph, and like I said to you in the opening of this, I said it's like, you know, I always wanted to see Dolph, you know, be be wittier. And, and, and you know, because the guy is smart. And that's not... I don't know. It's so hard for me because it's like two guys I idolize. And this is what I got. And I love this movie. I will never say I don't love this movie, but I love it in a kind of an ironic way. You know? Mm -hmm. Where it's like, I, I, yeah. Like a lot of horror films I love. You know, it's like I'll show Blood Diner to my friends and I love this movie. It's weird. And there aren't that many wacky, weird action movies, but there is this. But it, this one reaches a level. And, you know, and again, it's like, what, Silent Trigger and uh, Jill the Ripper and um, this time period of Dolph's career. Uh, was there one called Sweepers, if I remember correctly? Yep, that, that's the next one. Yeah. You know, I, I will say, thank God for the Expendables, because the Expendables came along. And not only did it bring him back in the public consciousness, but yeah. it got him some. I mean, not discrediting the films that he was doing around this time, because like you said, they are. He's doing a lot of really interesting stuff. But the films that he had aligned himself with after The Expendables were really getting much more attention, especially, which is weird for being uh, direct-to-video films. They were all seeming to, they all seemed to get much more fanfare and attention than any of these films got. So, but yeah, because I think, I remember reading, it was after this period, around 2003, 2004, he was actually considering retiring. Yeah. He was thinking, look, if, if this is the type of films that I'm going to get, you know what I mean? Because I think around... 96 to about 2003 i don't think his heart i mean i'm just speculating i don't want to say this is definitely it but i think his heart wasn't in it 100 percent. he was looking at some of the projects that he had that that were kind of lined up they they were in the end just more paychecks than anything else and i think he kind of toyed with the idea of tiring and just hanging it up oh it, makes, it would make sense i mean there's a thing i i, I try and I yeah. think about right now so expendables was what, 2003? What, two, where was it? No, it was 2000. It was 2000, 2010. 2010, that's right. So was Missionary Man, yeah. was Missionary Man before that or after that? Yeah, so what's, okay, so what's interesting, if you look at the trajectory, it was around 2004, 2005. That's when Lundgren started directing his films. That's right. And I think him 
him starting to direct his films kind of gave him that more creative control over those projects where he did not, where he did not have experiences like blackjack or, um, you know, some of those other films that maybe are not, not the shining stars on his resume, you know? And so once he finally started getting that creative control, he was directing. That's when I think those for being direct to video pieces, they really start to stand out. They do. I mean, that's the thing. I think like, I hate to say this, but I own them all. I collect them. But like Seagal's movies just became so laborious because Seagal also let himself go. Oh, yeah. So you couldn't like, like you, he's this giant fat person that's doing all these things. He's no longer the cook. You know what I mean? He He's the cook because he, he ate it all, yeah. but he's not. So, I mean, but it's like his Dolls movies were worth watching. And I think for a minute we lost JCVD. But then he came back and JCVD's movies became, right. you know, because Arnold always was a killer at the box office. That guy was a superstar. Yeah. And Sly was a superstar. Dolph and JCVD, I mean, they did just, they had a big fall off at some point. I mean, Sly kind of with Dick Carter and the funny Avenging Angelo. Um, I'm still mad at Avenging Angelo. Uh, but, you know, show you the things I get mad at at in life. But no, but Dolph always did. But yeah, to the, back to this point, though, Blackjack to me is still one of the most interesting projects or films on his resume. Because, yeah, I, I wasn't a big fan of Silent Trigger. Right? And that was even with Russell McCabe. You know, and I love Russell. Guy's a hell of a shooter. I believe it was Russell McCabe, yeah. right? Right, yeah. yes. I, I'm remembering how much I love Army of One uh, slash Joshua Tree. I love that. It's just like the guy has these weird. Uh, Jill the Ripper. I can't. I can't finish that movie. I, I have. I've watched it all the way. But I'm. I'm. It does nothing for me. I mean, I kind of get what he wanted to do, but I just don't love it. You know. Um, yeah. So Blackjack to me, like, to, to completely recap the movie, Blackjack to me, it, it's a very special. Like, I have it on VHS still. I think I, and I own two DVDs of it because I got one of those three Dolph packs, you know? It's really, oh, sweet. Yeah. I believe it. What is it? Hidden Assassin, Men of War, and Blackjack. There Jericho, it is, right? yes. So, so conversely, yeah. and my wife has to deal with this, I have that, and then I have Men of War also on, you know, its own DVD, and I have Blackjack on its own DVD, you know? And... The, except for my anger before I got on this, where I was just going to put it on in the background before I called you and not finding either copy and getting pissed off. They're around there somewhere. I just have movies in like three different places in my house. So, um, I lose track, but um, that's it. I mean, that's for my money, my favorite, and God, it's hard to say because it's four of them, but my favorite Dolph, Dolph movies. Well, okay, three, because I can't say Universal Soldier. My favorite Dolph movies are. I Come in Peace, Dark Angel, this, Blackjack, and uh, Man of War. For my money, those are his best. I would agree. I would agree. Well, and you, I mean, you've provided the an excellent segue as we as we wrap this up. A hundred minutes. I, I imagine it's it's going. <laughs> yeah. You're going to ask our, me back, uh, Our asshole. conversation is almost <laughs> as long as the film. <laughs> of course, of course. And I think, I feel... Kind of like with uh, with when we talked about Hidden Assassin and uh, Cover Up, I feel pretty confident in saying I think this is probably the only podcast out there in the world 
dedicated to the film Blackjack. So oh. I will wear that on my sleeve with pride. Dude, I'm so, so. proud of it. I'm so happy <laughs> this exists. It's insane to me. It's, it's, I can't believe, you know how you just find people in life and it's so weird to you. You're like, whoa, how did I find someone <laughs> who appreciates and not only appreciates, but has a podcast dedicated to Lundgren, which means he has a podcast dedicated to Blackjack. You know, so it's just, it's an incredible. Well, Brian, I, I always like to do two recommends, and you, you already kind of talked about the your first recommend, but I, I do two recommends, one as a Dolph Lundgren film and one as a film in general. So I'll let you go first. Does Blackjack get a recommend from you as a Dolph Lundgren film and as a movie in general? Oh, on both. I check both boxes. Yes. Yes, it does. Okay. Excellent. <laughs> yeah. That's fucking, there's, no, there's nothing Excellent. else about it. I mean, what do you think? He, is there something? He can't see white, and he's in a milk factory. That's all you need. <laughs> Watch that shit. Life's not that important. Come on, have fun. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm with there. I'm right there with you. I, I agree. I think it is a fun film to look at. You know, it's for me, it's a bit of a tough one to to fully examine, review, analyze, whatever you want to call it. As a Dolph Lundgren vehicle, I think it is an amazingly interesting artifact to take a look at because I think. This is what a syndicated hour-long television show in the 90s with Dolph Lundgren would have looked like. Yeah. And it is awesome. Yeah. I, I just I just love it. It is awesome seeing him try his hand at that. And they give his character so many cool, unique little characteristics that he gets to have fun with. I mean, a surrogate father figure, check. Badass hero, but one with his own form of kryptonite, check. A hero who's skilled in card tricks, check. I mean... All of those boxes are just being checked down the line. Plus, I think him teaming with John Woo is its a dream come true for any fan of the action genre. Uh, both Lundgren and Woo, I, I think they're, you know, they're true auteurs in a sense. So it's a treat seeing them join forces and each bring their own respective talents you know, to this project. So on that front, it certainly gets a recommend from me for any fan of either Lundgren or John Woo. Uh, dude, you, you you said it perfect. It's it's you left out Sal Rubinek, which makes you kind of a dick. But um, mm. you can leave out the Fred the Hammer. Sorry. Fred the Hammer was kind of useless. But when you're like, hey, this show could have had Sal Rubinek, and it's like, okay, well, <laughs> I should be watching this. Yeah, man. No, the, my apology. You said it so succinctly. You know, unfortunately, in the end, though, I do wish that. Dolph Lundgren and John Woo would have teamed up for a different project, uh, preferably an actual movie, because as an actual movie, it is so difficult to recommend this, because let's face it, this was not intended to be a movie. This is a pilot for a television series, and it's filled with so many subplots, many of which really don't go anywhere. I imagine because they were intended to be picked up and elaborated upon later on in the series. So it's frustrating in that sense because you're left wanting more, especially like, for example, we didn't really talk about it. But at the end of the film, as Jack and Cinder say goodbye, they share a kiss. He gets into his car with Thomas, his driver, also his butler, ready to embark on their next bodyguard assignment. But we don't ever see the character of Casey again. So I guess all is fine at home. She was at the front. dentist. It's <laughs> she was at the dentist, so you she's know, forty. She can't. You can tell can't that they had. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> you know, you can tell that they did have. They had some colorful villains intended for the series, assuming that it got picked up. But because it's a pilot episode, it's really difficult to fully evaluate. And 
you know, I, I will say this as well. As I was thinking about this, it is virtually, I don't know if you would agree with this or not, but it is virtually impossible to review a show based on its first episode. Because if you think about it, many shows, I wouldn't say all shows, but many shows really don't find their footing until one to two seasons in. I mean, I'm a huge fan of Seinfeld. Seinfeld, I think, is one of the greatest shows of all time. And that show had a terrible pilot episode. I mean, you cannot review that show based on the first episode because the first episode of Seinfeld is terrible. I'm a huge fan of Sopranos. And I always felt the first episode of Sopranos is a little off because some of the characters, Moltisanti, Christopher Moltisanti in the first episode is wearing a baseball hat and is almost acting like a, a, a teenager in, in many scenes. So it, it's difficult to look at any show and base it on the pilot episode. So on that front, I can't recommend it as a movie just because I'm sorry, it's not a movie. So, <laughs> well, I mean, I think you, you're right. But at the same time, it's like, I, I think, well, first off to one point you were saying, life's not over yet. Uh, you know, we haven't been nuked and Dolph is still alive. and John is still alive. John's not making many American movies, but my God, there's still a chance in hell that we might get those guys together. But, you know, you're Possibly. right. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's a goddamn pilot. It's a goddamn pilot. But at the same time, you know what? I've seen terrible movies. I've made some terrible movies, you know? So, ugh. to your point, you know, I respect yeah. your point. Well, as we close this up, Brian, I will let you give a shout out to or plug anything that you work on. Is there anything at Liberty that you want to mention or tell us uh, tell us about before we uh, before I let you go? Well, oh, I mean, there's a couple of things. Um, first off, yeah, uh, Utero, formerly known as Utero, it's now called The Living, and it should be out sometime in 2019. Um, Bad Apples is still at Redbox. So come on, throw us buck twenty five. And uh, currently, I'm, I mean, I'm on a I'm on a, uh, a remake series because everything's a series now. Uh, which is funny that we were talking about Blackjack because everything is a series these days. But I am on a um, really cool. Uh, I can say it's an Italian horror movie that um, I'm a huge fan of. Uh, Tarantino's a huge fan of. Uh, Eli Ross a huge fan of. We're turning it into a uh, to a series. We don't know where it's going to be picked up yet, but it is through a big uh, production company. And uh, yeah, no, I've been I've been writing a lot of, of of action pictures, and we are literally casting three of them right now. But it it's the canon special, man, where one's approved at Netflix, but we need to get a we need to get a, a lead that will bring the foreign number. And uh, one, actually, two of them I wrote for Dolph, but I have to. I have to go to bigger names, which is very sad to say. Very sad thing. But um, specifically on a Dolph Lundgren podcast. But uh, we're out to somebody today that's a very exciting name that I love. And I have here's a fun little thing. I have mentioned him on this podcast. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, boy. Yeah, there you go. All right. Go dig West for of it. Snipes? Oh, West no! Of Snipes, right? I love you, Snipes. <laughs> I, love, I love you. Fire your agents. Your agents are terrible. Anyways. We can get in trouble for that one. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, Brian, thank you so, so much for coming on. I had a great time, and um, this will not be the last. There's still plenty of films in Lundgren's filmography that are, are, are ripe for the picking, so uh, we will be having you back if you're ready and if you're willing. Dude, just don't bring me on for altitude, and I'm there. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. Cool. Well, hey, Brian, thank you so, so very much. I do appreciate right. it. To everyone out there who is listening, please feel free to rate and review the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever else you go to subscribe. We always appreciate the reviews, and we'll see you all next time. 
on I Must Break This Podcast.